This morning we're going to consider blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 38. Last week we considered the Lord Jesus Christ taking a journey across the Sea of Galilee to the country of the Gadarenes where he cast out thousands of demons from a man who was naked, who lived in tombs and who was kept in chains which he would break out of. By the end of the passage that same man was clothed of a sound mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. He wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said to him, go to your family and tell them what great things God has done for you. Consequently, the man went everywhere telling people about Jesus. However, the multitude of people that came to see what had happened reacted very differently. You might have expected them to prostrate themselves before Jesus and praise God for showing such love and compassion towards a demon-possessed man. But they didn't. They pleaded with Jesus to depart from them. We saw that just that, that just about sums up the responses to the person and the work of the Son of God Those who have been set free from captivity to sin will inevitably want to be with Jesus and they'll want to tell people about the love of God, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereas the multitude, the majority of people in this world, it will be the same as it was in when Jesus was in the world, wanting Jesus to depart from them and it will be the same as it was in Isaiah's day, the prophet Isaiah, he was in the world over 700 years before Jesus and people said to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, Cause the Holy One of Israel, that's Jesus, cause the, the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. All the people wanted in Isaiah's day was to have their ears tickled. They didn't want to hear about Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. They didn't want to be reminded of their sin. They just wanted smooth things to be preached them. Again, no different to today. No different at all. We have much the same thing in today's passage where those who reject Jesus stand to be eternally condemned. Let's have a look at verses 22 through to 24 in Matthew chapter 12. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. 
In verse 22, a demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus and he was healed. And we see two responses. In verse 23, the people were amazed. And they said, is not this the son of David? That question is very revealing in that it tells us that at the very least, they considered the possibility of Jesus being the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies that predicted that God would send his anointed one, the Christ or the Messiah, who would be a descendant of King David, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus came into the world. This is what we're told in the Old Testament, that God would send his anointed one, who would be a son of David, a descendant of King David. And there were people who clearly considered the possibility, hang on, is this not the son of David? Is not is this not the one who was predicted in the Old Testament? They weren't the only ones who made that connection with King David of old. In chapter 9 and verse 27, it is written, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Believing that Jesus is the son of David may have meant anything from believing that God had appointed Jesus to be an earthly conqueror and a ruler like King David. To believing that he is the son of David according to his humanity, but he is also the son, the eternal son of God, whose kingdom is a heavenly one and who saves his people, not from the Roman um, oppressors, but he saves his people from their sin. Entertaining any notion that Jesus was the son of David, whether it was a heavenly notion or simply an earthly one, was strongly opposed by the Jewish religious leaders who hated Jesus. For example, in chapter 21, verses 14 through to 16, it is written, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Same thing here. Sore displeased. Jesus is doing wonderful things. And the religious leaders are sore displeased. And they can't stand it when people refer to him as the son of David. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Here in chapter 12 we can see something of the extent of the opposition of the Pharisees and their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ in that they ascribed his casting out of a demon of a demon to the prince of the devils, to Satan when in fact Jesus did so by the power of the Spirit of God, according to verse 28. 
Let's continue with this passage and look at verses 25 through to 29. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Jesus pointed out the folly, the madness of such an assertion that he cast out demons by the devil. It didn't make any sense. It's nonsense. If it were the case, Satan would be, stri- be destroying his own work and his own empire. Also, for the sake of consistency, if Jesus cast out demons by the power of the devil, then others, including the children of those Pharisees who claim to be able to cast out demons, the children of the Pharisees, they claim to cast out demons, they would have to concede that they too did so not by the power of God, but by the power of the devil. And they wouldn't do that. The very fact that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of the Spirit of God was a testimony that back then, as right now, the kingdom of God is active and it is more powerful than the devil's dark domain. Each one of you who is trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin is a testimony to the fact that God has delivered you from the power of darkness and he has transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. You who were in the devil's dark domain have been transferred into the kingdom of Christ by the grace of God. By his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ has destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. By the power of God, Satan is now bound and people are being liberated from captivity and bondage to Satan and to sin. As Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. That freedom from sin and from Satan that is through faith in Jesus is alluded to in Charles Wesley's hymn where he wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth. And follow thee. You know that to be the case when the Spirit of God is active.
We'll read verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. There are those who are with Jesus, and they gather with him. And then there are those who are against Jesus, and they scatter abroad. And that just about sums up everybody in this world. You're with Jesus, and you gather with Jesus, or you are against Jesus, and you scatter abroad. There's no third category here, and there's no sitting on the fence. In the immediate context of this passage, those Pharisees were against the Lord Jesus Christ. They were scattering abroad. And more broadly, each one of you is either with Jesus or you are against him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who is gathering his sheep into into his sheepfold and day by day, repentant sinners are being brought into that fold through hearing the word of God and by an internal work of divine grace. Like today, people come to this church, you hear the preaching of the gospel, and my hope and my prayer is that there is an internal work of grace. God the Holy Spirit, working in you, opening your heart to receive his truth. And those who are with Jesus, having been gathered into the fold, will inevitably be involved in the work of bringing others in. I'll say that again. If you are with Jesus, if you have been saved by the grace of God, then you will inevitably be involved in the work of bringing others in, gathering in with Jesus. Whereas all who are against the Lord, and that includes cultural and nominal Christians, there's quite a few on this island, I suspect, who haven't actually trusted Jesus as repentant sinners, you do the lusts of your father, the devil, scattering and seeking to do, to undo and frustrate the great work of adding souls daily to the kingdom of Christ. Verses 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Verses 31 and 32 speak of a sin that shall not be forgiven men, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. In other words, if you leave this world guilty of that sin, you will do so condemned and you will enter into everlasting torment if you're guilty of that sin. And Jesus tells us what that sin is. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost or speaking against the Holy Ghost. Speaking a word against Jesus or blaspheming Jesus is forgivable, but not when it is against the Holy Ghost. For those of you who might entertain any doubt 
that the Holy Ghost is truly God. And I know people who call themselves Christians and they struggle with the Holy Ghost being God. That he is, as the JWs and other cultists would say, just an active force. Look at verse 32 again. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. You'll see that the Holy Ghost is named in that verse with the Son of Man. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is very God. And there is no reason to say, well, okay, the first one who's spoken of there, the Son of Man is God, but the second one who's spoken of there, the Holy Ghost, well, that's just an active force. It's You have to be consistent here. There is no reason to say that and to, to think that at all. Furthermore, blasphemy against the eternal Son of God is forgivable, but not when that blasphemy is against the Holy Ghost. And there are other verses that testify to the divinity of the Holy Ghost, that he is God. Such as chapter 28, verse 19, where Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Think about that verse. You all know that verse. The Father. Who is the Father? God. The Son. Who is the Son? God. And then you've got the Holy Ghost. God. All in one verse. And no reason to think otherwise. Let us now consider what sin is. Uh, what sin is unforgivable and will assign a guilty person a place with the devil and his demons in hellfire. What could that sin, which is described as blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, or speaking against the Holy Ghost, possibly be? A fundamental teaching in the Bible is that the grace of God is greater than some of our sins, do I take it further than that? Lots of our sins? How about all of our sins? Do you imagine that there is any sin that you would commit now that if you if you cried out to God for mercy for, you would not be forgiven? The grace of God is greater than all our sins. That is basic teaching in the scriptures. That there is forgiveness for all who repent and believe that Jesus has lived a life of sinless perfection on their behalf. And that he has redeemed them with his own precious blood at the cross. Such people are said to be with Jesus. They gather with him as they proclaim the riches of his grace to other people. The Bible abounds with examples of how great the grace of God is towards sinners. For example, the Apostle Peter, he denied knowing Jesus no less than three times 
on the third occasion, he even began to curse and to swear like a big coward as he distanced himself from Jesus, whom he had confessed to be the son of the living God. And then there was the Apostle Paul before his conversion. He was a Pharisee. He was against Jesus as a Pharisee and he scattered abroad as he wreaked havoc in the church. In the Old Testament there was King David who was, a, who was guilty of adultery and guilty of murder. Through all that in Psalm 32 verse 5 he said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Don't imagine that you have a sin that is too big for God to deal with. There is no sin too big, and there is no sin too small for God and his grace. However, the Bible also teaches that all who are not trusting in Jesus are condemned. For example, John's Gospel makes that very clear in chapter 3 and verse 18, where it is written, He that believeth on him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And you kind of know that, don't you? If you know anything about the Bible, you know that it really is not a good thing to not believe in Jesus. And we never get away from that. And in John chapter 3, verse 36, it is written, He that believeth on the Son have everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You in here now, if you're not trusting in Jesus, the wrath of God is upon you. Wake up and realise that. It's serious stuff to reject Jesus. And that ought to make sense to all of you. Even on an intellectual level, God sending his son into the world to pay the price for sin, to lay down his life at the cross, and you reject that. As for those of you who have tasted the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is good, and then you have gone on to spit him out again, A very serious warning is reserved for you. For example, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through to 6, it is written, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. 
When I became a Christian, I partnered with an old man by the name of Albert and together we would hit the streets of London, central London, Covent Garden and various other places, gathering sheep as we called on people to repent and to believe the gospel. That man had spent many, many years away from the Lord. He was a Christian, but he'd gone away from God, doing his own thing. Satisfying the lusts of the flesh. However, God had graciously restored him and his greatest desire was to be busy about his heavenly father's business. I often quote Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 from the pulpit. One of the few verses I know of of Pat and I often quote it, a, a verse that I love, where the Apostle Paul, having spoken about forsaking all for Jesus, said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Well, my dear old friend Albert, he first introduced me to that verse. One day we were just walking along the street and he turned to me and he just said, that I may know him. And he said it so meaningfully. I mean, Albert knew Jesus, just like the Apostle Paul who wrote that in Philippians. But he wanted to know him more and more and more. And that's how it is when you know Jesus and the riches of his grace. That grace that saves you from all your sins. We can see with the example of Albert that there is forgiveness for all who have received and turned away from Christ. But be warned, if you die in that miserable condition of having trodden Jesus underfoot, there is no forgiveness for you. You die condemned. Coming back to Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, and the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. It's interesting that in the passage that I quoted from Hebrews about those who crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, it says that they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And that takes me to my conclusion When the prophets of God and the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ spoke and wrote about salvation from sin through faith in the Lord Jesus, they did so as they were led by what or who? As they were led by the Holy Ghost. When I prepare my sermons and I stand here proclaiming my sermons to you, I do so with the enabling of the Holy Ghost. And I look to the Holy Ghost to um, to speak through me when I'm in the pulpit. Dare any of you blaspheme the Holy Ghost and bring eternal condemnation upon yourself by rejecting his message about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners? Or do you dare to tread the Son of God underfoot by turning away from him, having confessed him as your saviour from sin. Whoever you are, if you were to die today, 
not trusting in Jesus as your saviour, you would leave this world condemned. Having rejected the clear testimony, not just of me, but of God, the Holy Ghost, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins and you will be saved. For the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Amen.